that. So, awesome. Um, flew in from Orange County today, which was fun, uh, with a two-year-old now. It started out kind of on a bummer note, because apparently there's a policy that if your child is two years old, that you have to buy a seat. So we uh, didn't buy the seat on the way, because she doesn't turn two, two till tomorrow, but they informed us that on the way back, we've got to buy a seat. So we'll be taking up an offering for that later, because that was not... <laughs> <laughs> that was not part of the plan, and uh, we spent our money on giant tickets and everything else. And uh, yeah, but it, it's all good. It, it was a lot of fun. This is this is her second time flying, so she was a little bit more aware this time of what was going on. But she was into it. She really liked it. Uh, looking outside, and as soon as we got over kind of the Fremont Hills, South like San Jose area, we were telling her, it's Papa Mimi's house, and she was so excited. She, she had a bad earache, and as soon as we started, you know, your ears pop and stuff, right? They can't chew gum. I don't think you're supposed to give kids gum yet, right? Is that on the no-no list? All right, not even Big League Chew, that's not allowed. Um, so she, she started looking out the window and talking about Papa Mimi's house, and she just stopped, and she got so excited. It was really, really cool. So we're really looking forward to our time here with you guys and with our family, for sure. Um, it's kind of a, a dual victory because uh, we're here celebrating her birthday, but also the opening day of the Giants on Friday. <laughs> Represent. Is that a World Series hat? So I'm talking about. Is that an A's shirt right there, though? No. No, okay. <laughs> A's are cool. A's are cool. So, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to both of that. Season opened up last week, and on opening day, I accidentally started, which I'm, which I'm hoping to be a new tradition, as we went down to the beach together, just daughter-daddy day, and just uh, overlooked the sand and stuff, and we had our Giants hats on. And living in Southern California, there's more angels and... Pardon my language, but Dodger hats than anything. So we encountered a couple Dodger fans, and uh, I know we, that's that's a bad word, but I'm hoping maybe that could be a new tradition for us. Opening day at the beach is is kind of fun. So um, anyway, if you have your Bibles tonight, we are actually going to turn, and it's going to be surprising to uh, the Old Testament. Is there money being exchanged here? Oh, don't drop your iPad. <laughs> We're going to turn to the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Everybody said Nehemiah. Yeah, yeah. Nehemiah. Pastor Tom with some lingo on there. Um, recently, our church, we went through about a, a couple month series just looking at the book of Nehemiah. And, and to be honest, um, I was excited about it because it's God's word. But I'm, I consider you know, myself somebody who likes new things. Um, my dad has the iPod version one there which, as we already know, not the iPod, the iPad, is, is already obsolete. And I'm looking forward to getting, at some point, the, the, the iPad 2 or, you know, the new iPhone 4s, which are about to be obsolete as well as the iPhone 5s come out. I, I tend to go towards the new, new way of things. Um, so anything that has the word old in front of it, and sometimes people put that word in front of me now, which is kind of scary, um, I, I struggle with sometimes. So I made it a challenge myself this last year and this coming year to preach more of the Old Testament. And I got to tell you just how blown away we were. I was personally just about how the way that God spoke uh, through the book of Nehemiah. So I'm going to not preach the whole book. You'll be happy to know. We're just going to look maybe at the first two chapters or so and see how it goes and see what God would uh, say to us through this amazing and this powerful book because it's all God-breathed, isn't it? It's all... The God of history, the God of creation is the God of the old, the God of the New Testament. Jesus is revealed through all things. So we're going to get into that tonight. Just a little bit of background because we think it's good to know that a book is written for somebody 
who those somebodies were, what was happening in that context. Um, it's a book that really speaks about the Israelites and their period of captivity. Um, we're looking at a time that's after the golden years, right? So after uh, King David and Solomon, uh, kind of the high times of, of the people of Israel, um, they've, they've taken on some other kings who were not so hot, some priest rulers that were not so good, that were uh, after following after false gods. So we see kind of the decline in the society, in the people of God, who were the people of God, the people of Israel, right? Set up to display God's character and nature to the nations. And we see kind of the decline of this in about 600 B.C., they're taken over by the Babylonians. And then the culmination of that is the temple is actually destroyed in 586. These aren't just, there are dates, but they will become important later. If you want to scribble those down, I don't know. So 586, the temple is destroyed. They're 70 years cast into exile. Um, as part of being exile and being in, in captivity, the Persians come and they actually take over the Babylonians. So now the Persians are taking them over. And now they're in this place where they are a people that are in between, where they are a people who are broken, a people who have no direction, who are lacking purpose, who are lacking vision, a people in tremendous and physical and spiritual need. So we might say a people like us, if we're honest, sometimes we're living the victory, aren't we? Every day we're, we're exceedingly more what, what God has for us, but we know that that can be a process. And in that process, Sometimes things happen, <laughs> and sometimes things go. We are a people in progress, much like the people of Israel that we find here in Nehemiah, a people who have, have lost everything. They have been destroyed. Um, we begin to see that they start turning a little bit um, over a span of about 90 years. 50,000 of them begin to return back to the city of Jerusalem, and in 516, the temple is rebuilt. So things are starting to happen. Things are starting to turn. So we're going to pick up the story here in Nehemiah 1.1. Seems like a good place to start. And we're going to get a, a, just a view here of our leading character, Nehemiah. And much, much of the book reads as a personal memoir. It's his journal, really, of what he's encountering as he's going on through this process of what God is getting ready to call him to do. I'm reading out of the NLT. I realize that might be different. I struggled around our house to find an NIV. It's full of King James's and New King James versions. And, and that's cool. Nothing wrong with that, but I, I just kind of prefer this. But So this will be the, the NLT. So Nehemiah 1, 1. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the late autumn, in the month of Kislev, which would be the winter months, in the 20th year of King Arxeteria's reign, which we know from looking at other historical documents, would have been about 445 B.C. I was at the fortress of Susa, which is where the Persian government rules and reigns from, and he was the cupbearer in the king's court. So he's, he's a Jew. He's a Jew descent. He's, he's, a, he's an Israelite. And he's here in, in the, the captivity of the, the nation that's ruling over Israel. And he's serving as a cupbearer in their place. So he's at their fortress. So he's a bit of an outsider. outsider. So Hananiah, one of my brothers or close friends, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. And I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. So this is post-exile here. And they said to me, Things are not going well for those who have returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The gates have been destroyed by fire. So their city is in ruins. They're actually defenseless. Uh, most of us would know this, but 
having their walls torn down left them totally open and exposed to attack. There were no airborne attacks back then. It was all ground warfare. So an easy way to get the enemy out is you build a giant wall. So not having that wall there, they lacked protection. They were just at the mercy of people who would want to come in and destroy. So they're in this place of defenselessness, of brokenness. And things are in ruin. Things are in ruin. And not only that, but the people are scattered. They're in exile. Some of them are starting to return, but they're not together. Uh, think kind of modern day Haiti or New Orleans when a city is destroyed and laid in ruin and the destruction that comes. And not only the destruction, but the separation and the isolation. People are not allowed to gather and meet together. As the people of God, they can't come together to worship. They can't gain that momentum of being together, of being God's people together. And maybe you've experienced that in some extent of, of feeling isolated or feeling you know, kind of apart from one another. But really in our society, if anything, we are over-connected, aren't we? I've got my iPhone and I get messages all the time, you know, tw Twitter mentions or, you know, giant score updates, real important stuff, right? Or emails, you know, I iPads. We're constantly connected. We're only a text, a poke, a tweet away from talking to some of our dear friends, <clears throat> which we could also argue kind of puts up this false sense of, community and connection, doesn't it? But we're, we don't really necessarily live in isolation, at least by our own choice. Here, this choice was thrust upon them, totally disconnected. Imagine if everything that you held dear, your family, your job security, the place that you worship, your identity and community, imagine if that went away, if you couldn't gather with friends, if you didn't have a place to worship, if you were isolated, if you were being held against your will. And imagine what would your response be. <clears throat> Hopefully similar to that of Nehemiah in verse 4. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, I fasted. Not just for a minute, but actually for a period of about three to four months. He was broken. This news hit him, his people, who he was. And I prayed to the God of heaven. See, the first thing, before he goes and, and does anything, before he's given this, this great vision, is the vision begins with brokenness. Vision begins with brokenness, and it leads to compassion, and compassion leads to action. Before he could act, the Holy Spirit had to grab him, move him, break him, stir him to act. And then in verse 5, he goes on to pray, if you have time to read it, one of the seven powerful prayers that are really balanced with action as well. He's not just praying, but he's acting. And he says, O Lord God of heaven, in verse, in verse 5, excuse me, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love and obey his commandments, listen to my prayer. Look down and see my praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have all sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled in the situation that they are, to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place that I have chosen for my name to be honored. In verse 10, the people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. 
O Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable towards me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. And in those days, I was the cupbearer. So he lays out this great really system of prayer, which is great for us to, to model and pick up, as he first acknowledges uh, the greatness of God through praise and thanksgiving. He esteems God's place. You are holy. You are God. You are able. You are faithful. Beside me in that equation, you are who you are. I don't sustain you. I don't create you. You create. You uphold. You are holy. You are God. And then in light of that, he repent, repents. Not a fun word in church, right? Maybe we should do repenting, too. Who wants to start? Let's do Okay. <laughs> I don't know. He repents. I've confessed that we've sinned against you, not just the people, but me, myself. In light of your glory, in light of the mandate you've put on us, we have not met up to it. And then he petitions. He says, remember what you have told your servant Moses. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. And then he requests for specific help. He repents, he petitions, and then he asks for specific help. Grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. So before anything, remember the city is in ruins. There's an obvious problem. The wall needs to be rebuilt. That is the mission. That is the task. But before going to Home Depot, before getting the blueprints... Before rallying the troops, before, you know, getting together and having, you know, three month meetings of strategic ministry planning, before any of that, what is the first thing that we find Nehemiah doing in response to the brokenness? He prays. He prays. This is really simple, isn't it? But how often do we feel like, yeah, prayer, that's important, but there's a problem and the problem needs to be fixed and I'm just going to go and do it. I've done a lot of that, of just acting on what I see and acting because I think I could figure the thing out analytically. That This is broken. This is a mess. I'm going to make this decision and this is going to happen. But actually, God is saying, hold up. Does this even grip you? Are you even moved by that? And in being moved by that, are you moved enough to pray first to acknowledge that you can't figure it out? See, before Nehemiah acts, he's humbling him. Before he becomes this person who we say, wow, what a great thing that he did. He breaks him down. <laughs> I don't like to be broken down very often, if I'm honest, because I'm quite the manly man, I think, sometimes. <laughs> Although, when you have a daughter, that, that tends to stop. And you want to cry when people pray happy, sing happy birthday over, over her. And, and the reality is, is that I pray. <laughs> Everybody said, yay. <laughs> good. That's good, good to know. I believe the, in, in the importance of prayer. I believe in the value of prayer. I believe that in praying, uh, you know, our hearts change as we see God's heart. But often it, it seems like, at least in my life, and I might be alone in this, and if I am, then I'll just turn around and, and do one of those and preach to myself. But it, it seems that often what's missing from my prayer is just this real sense of just burden. <laughs> this real sense of actually being really compassionately moved by the Holy Spirit to pray for a specific thing that he's calling me to pray to. That sometimes it feels like I'm missing this truly inspired, compassionate brokenness that comes from the Holy Spirit. A compassion that even affects my emotions. A compassion that even moved Nehemiah to to weep and and to, to remain for three to four months in that before he did anything. A compassion that so burdens me that my prayers are fueled by something greater. Something beyond intellect. 
something beyond what I think I can figure out. Nehemiah here is praying a prayer that is rooted in compassion because in this moment, he felt the burden of his people, of his city, of the situation. In this moment, he was giving a new, given a new perspective. Things shift in his heart, in his view, as the Holy Spirit invaded him. So the million-dollar question, at least in my mind, is how does that happen? <laughs> what are the three easy steps? Three easy steps? That's, we watch a lot of Disney, and I think that's one of the Oso characters or something. I don't know. Well, we can certainly involve ourselves in, in our city as we examine what, what, what's broken around in Alameda County and in and, and our life and our situations. We can involve ourselves. We can listen to people. We can examine ourselves. We can hear stories. We can get a real feel for what's happening around us. We can, we can do that. But the reality is, is unless it's rooted and motivated by the Holy Spirit, right. we'll simply be acting on our own power. It is? Okay, good. You guys talk back here. I've got to remember that. <laughs> we don't get that a whole lot in Southern California. <laughs> it's fun stuff. I want to bring you guys, like every, all of you, on a Sunday to Soul Survivor. <laughs> Just see what happens. It would be crazy, I think. <laughs> So in this moment, something switched in Nehemiah. Something broke in him. Something changed in him before he could act, before going to Home Depot. Something switched in him. And we could say, yes, that's great and interesting point. But if we look a little bit deeper, we have to realize that this wasn't new news to Nehemiah. That this wasn't something that he was unaware of. Let's examine the situation. He's the cupbearer in the court of the government that's overseeing his people. <laughs> Do you think he probably knew that his people were in captivity? Probably knew the situation, what was going on in Jerusalem? I imagine that they probably had some sort of a, a map. You know, and had their plans written out for what they were going to do there and how they were going to continue to just dominate the people. Being an Israelite, this was not new news to him. Not only that, I mean, that in and of itself is overwhelming enough. He's in the king's court of the occupying nation. But do you know how much time had passed from when the Babylonian attack had happened to the time of Nehemiah's recorded response? <laughs> I always get confused in the BC translation because it's backwards and I'm not too good at math. That's just how it goes. But 48, excuse me, 586 BC, the moment when the attack came down to now 445 BC. If we do the math, do some trickery, that's 100. Did I say it wrong? Okay. You guys are talking a lot over there. <laughs> that's 141 years. 141 years later, now he weeps. Now he fasts. Now he mourns. Now he prays. Certainly a fitting response for his people, but as most commentaries will, will note, it seems like it's a little much and it's certainly a little late. What is the story with that? Well, let's compare this a little bit to get the impact into our time. What year is it? Gabe, I mean, Gabe. Gabe, where is Gabe? He's here somewhere, isn't he? He's probably at home sleeping. Okay, well, we'll talk to him later. Hey, Gabe. Amicana. Got to meet Jason. Well, Sterling, the year is 2011. 
I think it is. So if we subtract 141 from that, what do we get? I did it earlier, so I'll sound super smart. 1870. We get 1870. 141 years. <laughs> now, there was certainly some pretty tragic stuff happening in our world around that time. And I, I made the tragic mistake of Googling tragedies of the 19th century, which it's kind of a bummer, don't, unless you really feel compelled to do that. But uh, anything to help illustrate a point, I guess. Tragedies of the 19th century. Some of these will sound familiar to you. The Donner Party, 1847. That's the one where they went on a hike and they forgot to pack the hot dogs, right? And no bueno. Um, <laughs> a little thing called the Civil War. Remember that one? Yeah, 1860. Honest Abe, Abraham Lincoln, was assassinated in 1865. Another more global thing. From 1876 to 1879, 13 million Chinese died of famine in northern China. And these are tragic events. But I think we could admit that it would seem a little overstated or an overkill to us if Pastor Tom walked into church and he said, guys, you won't believe what happened. They shot Abraham Lincoln. I can't believe it. He's been assassinated. And he threw himself on the floor and he handed in a vacation quest to, to, to Pastor Mark. And he said, I just can't come to work. I need a good three to four months off to, to process what is happening here. <laughs> or if Michelle handed her vacation request in. I was watching this documentary on the Donner Party and I'm scarred. I just can't believe the tragedy I'm just going to, everything is just in ruins. And we laugh because it's kind of absurd. We, we should mourn those things for sure and not make light of them as I'm kind of doing now. Bad on me. Um, but that was what was happening. This was not new news for Nehemiah. This was not something that he was unaware of. 141 years. So what's the story there? The story is, is he heard it in a new way. He heard it in a new way. He heard it through the voice of the Holy Spirit inviting him to not only be aware of the problem, to be broke by the, broken by the problem, but to now act on behalf of the Spirit of God to fix and solve the problem. He was spurred into action because he heard it in a new way from the compelling, authoritative voice of the Holy Spirit. Amen. See, often he's thought of as the hero. <laughs> And really, it's not necessarily the case. More often, the case is he's just like you and me. Ignoring the brokenness that's around him. Getting used to it. The broken situation in his city. The brokenness, that sin in his life, which has had a grip on him for years. Yeah. He's found a way to, to deal with it. To, to manage it. To maybe put it in the section and, and to forget about it. But guys, there comes a point when enough is enough. When God wants to grab you, not in grabbing us in a way to throw you and convict you and say how horrible you are, but to grab you in such a way to say, I am with you and things can be better. Amen. Things can be better. In fact, that's the whole point of the gospel is I am making things better. I am making things new. And in making things new, I want to use you and you and you Amen. to make things new. Awake, O oh sleeper. No longer be stuck in this position where we're just satisfied with the status quo, where we're overlooking things that we know are wrong in our lives and the life of our city. God wants to stir us. God wants to move us to act. 
So what's old news in your city? Is it drugs? Is it homelessness? Is it abuse? What's old news in your life? That secret sin, that broken relationship, that addiction that just you can't seem to get a hold of. See, things can be broken so long that either we have no idea of the wholeness that we can experience or that we think it's just the way that it's always going to be and we give up accepting that life situation. Things can be better. Things can be solved. That was, that's what God is doing. Um, I'm certainly not a, a fixer-upper kind of guy. We've, our, our garage opener that leads out to the garage was broken for a period of about three months. Something like that. And it got so bad that Olivia was able to lock us in our garage and we would have to figure out a way, a way in. Um, our guests couldn't get out to the garage. We couldn't get out to the car. We would be late to places because we couldn't open this stupid door. And we just kind of dealt with it. Like I had a little system. You shake it this way, you shake it that way, and then you give it one of those. And then sometimes it opens. Sometimes it opens. But when your friends start getting locked in the garage... <laughs> There comes a point when you have to say, it's time to fix some stuff. So Olivia and I went down to Home Depot, which is an interesting experience in itself to take your daughter to Home Depot. I'm, I'm modeling to her, you know, dad is a fix-it kind of guy, which, which I'm not. And I uh, got the garage door, and I fixed it. I can't even believe it, and it works. So that's, that's good stuff. And I think in the same way that sometimes we need to be awakened and acknowledge that things are broken, that in the same way in our lives, in our churches, in our cities, that I really believe that the Holy Spirit wants to give you His freedom, His purpose, His vision, to say that I am with you. That I am the problem solver. That I am doing a great work. I am making things new and I want to involve you in making things new. I believe that He wants to burden you in such a way that you are compelled to act. That old news that you've heard for years, you'll hear in a new way. That people that you pass on the street, we all do it, and we pass on the other side of the street, will no longer just be figures that we're trying to cross over. But they'll be people that God wants to heal. And what if, this is crazy enough, but what if God wants to involve you in that healing? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God wants to and can use you? He's calling us to awake. He's calling us to give, to give us new perspective, to give us new vision. I believe He wants to birth in us prayers and visions that are passionate and are involved in seeking the kingdom and its healing in your life and its city. He wants to birth in you passionate prayers that are involved, acting and moving to seek forth the kingdom of God in your city. That when we hear reports like over 10,000 people are homeless in Alameda County, and that of those, close to 23% of those include family with children, that that would not be old news. That something would break in us. That we would hear that with the compassionate heart of the Holy Spirit. That we would realize that alone, we can't do that. But with God, all things are what? All things are possible. So chapter 1 lays out the situation of what's happening. And then in chapter 2, we begin to see some of the actions of this changed man as he's burdened. And I just love this after examining this and not really knowing that this was here. 
some four months later, remember of the weeping and the fasting of praying, or four months, we, we're now in, looks like the month of April in chapter 2, verse 1. Early in the following spring, as flowers are blossoming, as new things are, are sprouting to life, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of the king Arxateus' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. See, there was something about his countenance, his emotion that was different. It was tangible. God was doing a work in him. Then I was terrified, but I replied, scared first, but courage, he replied. Long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Verse 4, then the king asked, well, how can I help you? (laughs) I love that. We could just glance over that. How can I help you? How can I, as the king of the governing nation who's presiding over you people, how can I help you? Something changed in him. He was broken and he was leading where he was, where his influence was. So with a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied in verse 5, If it pleases the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. He's asking for a vacation request. The king, with the king, he really is, sitting beside him, asked, How long will you be gone? Sounds like a vacation request. And when will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. He was actually gone for 12 years. Long vacation. I also said to the king, If it pleases the king, not only give me a vacation request, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safety, safely through the territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make the beams for the gates of the temple fortress for the city walls and also supply a house for myself. <laughs> so what does he ask for the, the king? I need some time off. I need a vacation request. I also need my, my traveling papers to go through this treacherous region. I need to be allowed to travel safety. I also need um, a purchase order for King Asaph. I need to get all the wood. I need to, a blank check for that wood. Not, I need all that timber. That timber is going to be used to, to construct this wall, which we're going to rebuild the city around. And also... Throw in a house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. Because the gracious hand of God was on me. And man, doesn't it make such a difference when we act when the gracious hand of God is on us? Nehemiah stirred and broken. He prays and he acts. And in his acting, As the rest of the book unfolds, the wall is rebuilt. It's not easy. There's opposition along the way. But in acting, in moving on behalf of what God had instructed him to do and getting this new vision, which vision, all that is, is a challenging picture of the future, of how it can be and how it must be. And seeing how it can be and how it must be, he was provided for. (laughs) Those who even opposed him couldn't help but help him. It was tangible. The anointing, the authority of God had placed Upon him. And guys, when you act, when you move in the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll be surprised about the doors that open up. That's right. 
You'll be surprised about the way that people want to help you. You'll be surprised about those who want to come alongside you and say, I see what you see. I don't know why I see it, but I see what you see. And how can I help you? How can I help you? He wants to give us new compassion, new boldness, new influence, new action, new vision. And He wants us to get on with it. He wants us to get on with it because He is a God who is making all things new. And in doing that, He invites us to make those things new. So here's the question. What is broken today? We don't like that word. We don't like to examine that. I don't want to think about that. What is broken in your own heart? What is that thing that you've stashed somewhere for a while and and, you know, said, I'm not going to deal with that right now. God wants to take that from you. He wants to heal you. He wants to make that thing new. What is broken in your city? Where you live, where you work, the people that you have community with. What is broken there that seems like it's old news, that seems like it will never get better? God wants to make that thing new. And we can't do it. He can do it. But the cool thing is He invites us to do it with Him. And I believe, guys, that He wants to do that in you, for you, and through you. If we could step back and admit that and see that and be aware of those things and be moved by compassion to pray, be moved by compassion to act, there's no limit to what God can achieve when we're working, when we're moving with Him. Amen? Amen, Amen, guys. Hey, simple word, right? I'll tell you what, hard to apply. So, let's go for it. Let's go for it. God wants to move. He wants to act. He wants to do a new thing. Amen? Amen. Cool. Why don't we stand as we close now? fully recognize that in a room this size that there is probably perhaps as even we were talking and talking about things that are you know not right and broken that many of us probably could identify with those things you know maybe it's you know maybe it's that marriage maybe it's that relationship maybe it's even that vice that, that nobody knows about that you've somehow just working into the fabric of your routine that you've become calloused to and with, that God wants to say, I want to do a new thing. Yes, amen. That I want to make you aware of that, to in a healthy way convict you of that, and in conviction to, to bring healing. So in our own lives, examine those things. But not just in our own lives in what's going on around us, in our cities? What are those things that we've accepted, that we've ignored, that are status quo, that we say, well, that's just the way it's always going to be? Could it be that God actually wants to use you? That He wants to burden you in a new way? To be an advocate of His justice and of His mercy?
So let's take a moment. Let's examine our heart on those two things. God, what is in my heart? What is broken that you want to fix? God, is there anything in my community, in my city that is broken that you want to burden me with to participate with you in fixing?